Amen. Thank you, worship team. That is the best song ever. Oh, man. I love that song so much. I'm leading worship next week. We're going to be singing it again. Sorry. I can't help myself. I can't do worship at Christmas without singing Oh, Holy Night. Uh, let's pray together as we dig into God's Word this morning. Father God, we again come before you and say thank you. We say thank you for that holy night. Uh, God, it is, we can't even begin to conceive of what you did there. That you came to be with us, that you were born, that Jesus was born as a human baby, vulnerable, completely dependent on his mother. God, we don't understand what that means. It makes no sense. You are so much greater and grander than we can even begin to conceive, and we bow before you and say thank you. Father God, as we dig into your word this morning and we try to understand a little bit more of who you are and what you are doing, God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you'd open our hearts to hear from you today, that your spirit would move in this place and draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we dig in this morning, let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, we're going to begin by reading this very famous and familiar passage as we go through it. You're going to uh, remember at least pieces of this very much. This is, comes up a great deal in the Christmas season. These are prophecies that are uh, well known and well understood. And we're going to dig into a little bit of what God was doing in some of these things. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 to 9. Let's read this together this morning. It says this, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, from the, for the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Amen. Jesus was born to live for us and to die for us, to save us, to bear our sins, to intercede for us and bring us home. This morning we're going to be continuing our series looking at the prophecies of God about the Messiah. The promises that he gave to us 
about who and what Jesus would be, how and where he would be born. How he would live and work, the things he would say and do, and ultimately that he came to save us. This Advent season, we want to look at the fulfillment of the promises of God, that he is faithful and true, that he is trustworthy and patient, and that he never fails. So many of the prophecies that we are exploring were written Hundreds and even thousands of years before. And that's difficult for us to understand. That's such a long time to pass. It's farther away from us than Columbus sailing the ocean blue. Than the Reformation, Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses to the door. To then the Crusades. I mean, Canada itself is only 152 years old. What does it mean that these prophecies, some of them were seven, eight hundred years and more before the birth of Jesus? How do we process that? And in a sense, maybe we can't. We're busy. Our lives are busy. We always have been and we're just trying to make it day to day a lot of times. We're worried about our jobs and our health and our families from week to week maybe. And I'm thinking about college and weddings and things for my girls not that many years away and we think about retirement and how do we take care of loved ones in the coming decades and things and how can we think about something hundreds of years away or a thousand years ago it's a weird thing And it's something we talk about a lot in the church, things that happened thousands of years ago or might well happen well into the future. It's a weird thing. It's hard to think about. It's hard for us to understand because our lives are are small and busy and filled with worry. And it can be hard to see beyond that, hard to think beyond what we're walking through right now. And that's where these stories, these these words, these prophecies and promises, that's where they're so important. Because it's God reminding us that there is so much more going on than what is happening right around us right now. That He does care about the here and now today. That His love and presence are real now. And He sees our hurts and our struggles and our need right now. But at the same time, there is so much more going on. Eternal things, spiritual things, kingdom things. We need to see that. We need to know that. It gives us hope. It gives us perspective. It gives us scope. That there is justice. That there is life. That there is purpose and direction. That what we're walking through isn't just random. Isn't just chaos. Isn't just hardship after hardship or worry after worry. That there is a plan. That God is in control. Prophecies remind us that God is working for us, for everyone, because He made us.
because He loves us and we're meant to know Him. We need to know and understand the things that God has said, that God has promised. Otherwise, we can so easily get lost just in ourselves, completely consumed with our fears and needs and desires, while all the time God is trying to call us to new life, abundant life, eternal life, life with Him. The prophecies of God are promises and they are reminders Promises of incredible things to come and reminders of what He has done so that we can trust what He is doing and believe in what He will do. God gave us prophecies about the birth of Jesus, telling us about the places, the place that He would be born, the things that would happen around Him, the incredible, miraculous nature of His birth, showing us that there was a plan. That God was really going to come to be with us for real. And God gave us prophecies about the life and the ministry of Jesus. Trying to help us see what he was doing. That he would understand our needs. That it wasn't just military or political power. God didn't want land. He wanted our hearts. The Messiah would show us how we were meant to live, what our Father had truly created us to be, the kind of relationship He desires with us. Jesus was born to show us the depth of God's desire for connection with us, and He lived to show us what that connection and relationship was supposed to look like. But He'd also come with a purpose. The Messiah was born to die. God sent His Son to be a sacrifice for us. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Jesus came to live with us and To die with us. That was his purpose. That was the plan. God paid for our sin with his own son's blood. Just as he had prepared us for through the prophets. Again, God gave us lots of prophecies about his birth and about his life. But nothing more so than about his death for our sake. Because from the beginning, God understood that we would not be able to pay our own debt. That our sin had separated us from Himself in a way that we could not overcome. That all of the sacrifices and all of the laws and the temple and the priests and everything that God had given us in those things could not fix what had been broken could not restore what was lost. It was not enough. That the only way for us to be saved was for Him to save us. And so He told us, right in the garden, right at the moment of our sin, God promised again one who would come to overcome death, that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent even as the serpent struck his heel. The Messiah would defeat sin and death, but would die himself. 
And then through the ages, through each generation, over and over and over, God prepared His people for what the Messiah was going to accomplish for them. That there was one who was coming who would change everything. That He would not leave us lost in our sin. God gave them the sign of the Passover in Egypt. He prepared to lead His people out of bondage and slavery into new freedom and life, into the land of promise. Exodus 12, Then Moses summoned the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select animals for uh, for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on top and on both sides of the doorframe. When the Lord goes into the land to strike down the Egyptians, He will see the blood. And will pass over that doorway and will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul reveals to us the fulfillment of this prophecy in Jesus. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be new and unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus' blood is the protection from the wrath of God against the sin in our world and in our lives. God said in Leviticus 17 that the life of the creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And in Matthew 26, Jesus himself took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God knew the penalty for our sin would cost the life of his son, that his blood would be shed to cover our sin, to pay our debt, to atone for our transgressions. The blood is a sign and symbol of life and cost, a price paid for us. But God spoke a great many things about the sacrifice of His Son, about the things that would happen, that He would do and that would be done to Him. God said, while the power, while the blood of the Passover lamb would be shed... None of its bones would be broken. Exodus 12, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of its bones. And there on the cross, God fulfilled that prophecy. John 19, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. These things happened so the scripture would be fulfilled. None, not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. God had promised that Jesus would be lifted up and that everyone who looks on him would live. Just as Moses had raised up the bronze snake on the pole in the desert to save the people. Numbers chapter 21. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake, looked up at it, they lived. 
Jesus himself calls forward to his death on the cross in John 12. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all people to myself. God saw that they would plot to kill his anointed one, that they would plan. Psalm 31, for I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. And there in Matthew 27, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans as to how to have Jesus executed. That he would be silent before his accusers. Psalm 38, those who want to kill me set their traps. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. My mouth offers no reply. And there when Jesus stood before his accusers, He was silent. Matthew 27, when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. God foretold that he would be mocked and scorned. Psalm 22, all those who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And there on the cross, the people mocked him just as God said. Matthew 27, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. And so much more. God prophesied that Jesus would be forsaken and abandoned as the disciples left him. That they would pierce his hands and his feet. That they would cast lots for his clothing. That in his suffering, he would thirst. And even that he would be provided wine vinegar for his thirst. Detail after detail, God called out what he was going to do, what his plan was, what it would look like. So that when it came, the people would know, they would see. They would understand. That this was the one, this was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, born for them, come to live for them, and now to die for them. But God told them something more too, something else. That the one who would crush the serpent's head and be struck would rise again. Psalm 16, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Psalm 118, I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. He has not given me over to death. Isaiah 25, on this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. 
And Jesus himself prepared them for what was going to happen. Matthew 12, you shall be given the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. John 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, that he would be killed, and that he would rise again on the third day. God prepared his people, told them what he was going to do, what the Messiah would accomplish. And Jesus spoke plainly about what he was going to do, what was going to happen. And then he did it. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Jesus is alive. He was born to live and to die and then to rise to life again, just as he said, conquering sin and death forever, paying our debt, covering our shame, freeing us from being separated from our Father for all eternity and bringing us home. My father's house has many rooms, he said. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus came to be with us so that he could bring us back to be with him forever. It's Christmas season, we want to look at the manger, the fulfillment of these promises that God made so long ago, the prophecies that He gave us to give us hope, to help us see, to let us know that He has never left us, He has never abandoned us, never stopped loving us. In that manger was born the greatest expression of love the world has ever seen. A child of promise. A child of purpose. The Messiah born to save us. We are free. How can we be sharing that freedom this Christmas season? Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you in awe of what you have done for us. We thank you for the gift of your Son, for this incredible miracle of the incarnation. The Word became flesh 
and dwelled among us. Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to submit to your Father, to be that sacrifice, to walk through that pain and torture for us, that by your wounds we can be healed. We don't deserve it. We don't understand it. We can't earn it. But Father, you have given it to us freely. And so we say thank you. Father, help us to understand that freedom. Help us to live in that freedom. And help us to share that freedom with the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.